Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. It all happens because people pray. When you see something like that at spiritual emphasis, you're reminded of Psalm 34, 8 that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And once you've tasted of the Lord, once you've tasted of the Lord in prayer, everything else is just hamburger meat compared to steak. Now, don't get me wrong. Garcelle and I love hamburgers. We love In-N-Out Burger, one of our favorite places to eat. In fact, the owner of In-N-Out Burger is one of the biggest supporters of Teen Challenge. And so we love In-N-Out Burger. But a few years ago, it was our anniversary. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take you to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. And then I went on the website to book the reservation. I saw how expensive it was. And I said, oh, no. (laughs) You know, what did I do? But I still followed through with it. We ate at Ruth Chris Steakhouse right there in San Diego on the harbor there. And we we had a beautiful view of the harbor. And it was over $200 for two of us. But it was the finest steak that you'd ever eaten. I think they grill it at like 1,800 degrees is what they said to keep the juices in. It's one of the most amazing pieces of meat that you'd ever want. And everything else is just hamburger. I mean, and when you taste and see that the Lord is good, it's like eating at Ruth Chris Steakhouse. You just want to feast on the Lord, right? It's not that I have to pray. It's that I get to pray. Now, as we talk about this in this series on prayer, I don't want you to feel condemned or ashamed if your prayer life isn't where it's supposed to be. I'm going to be transparent with you. Mine at times is not where it's supposed to be. We all struggle with that because that's such a discipline that requires the highest discipline in our lives because there's so much opposition that comes with us. Like Jonathan said when Jonathan was saying about Satan doesn't like us to pray. He hates our prayers because our prayers are so powerful that Satan does not want us to pray. The flesh is undisciplined when it comes to the spiritual things of God. That, that our flesh, our fallen flesh just does not want to pray. But when you get to taste and see that the Lord is good, your prayer life just begins to increase. And when you begin to see the hand of God in all of your life, everything you do, even in the minutest details in your life, you begin to say, man, there's so much power in prayer. How could I live without prayer? There was a guy, I think it was E.M. Bounds, he wrote volumes on prayer. That was kind of his expertise. He would study the prayers in the Bible, and he wrote much on prayer. I think it was him that said, if you don't believe that prayer is powerful, then get a prayer life, and then see what happens, and then stop praying and see what happens. Because prayer is that important that God's hand moves through the power of prayer. Now, as we continue in this series of prayer on prayer, I want to look at the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. It's titled the Gethsemane 
prayer of Jesus, and I want the goal to be that we understand the importance of fighting our battles in prayer and the call for us not just to pray individually, but corporately as well. We're going to look at this passage this way. In verses 39 to 41, we're going to see that Jesus had a rhythm when it came to prayer. We're going to look at the rhythm of prayer, that he had a real rhythm when it came to praying. In verse 42, we'll see Jesus' submission in prayer, that when it came to his prayer life, he was totally submitted to God's will in what he was praying. And in verses 43 to 44, we're going to see that there can be great anguish in prayer. There can be great anguish when we pray. And in verses 45 to 46, we're going to see the call that Jesus makes to pray, the call that Jesus makes to pray. Now let's read the passage of Scripture together if you have your Bibles Open there, we're going to begin reading in verses 39 and go through verse 46 this morning. Let's begin to read. And he came out and went. By the way, man, those two words hit me because that's what prayer is. It's coming out of the world and it's going into the throne room of God. And he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's just pray for a moment, Lord, We, as we discuss this great subject on prayer and this great and powerful passage of Scripture, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts, Lord. Never, Lord, if we ever get to the point of being hardened and sensitive, insensitive to the Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would just convict us, that you would bring us to our knees, and we would cry out to you, for we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your word, Lord. And so, Lord, just have your way today in our congregation's heart, in Jesus' name. This takes place in what's called the Garden of Gethsemane. This event is recorded also in Matthew and Mark. It's recorded in Luke, as we just saw. John records it, but he doesn't say Jesus' prayer. He doesn't record Jesus' prayer. He just describes what happens there. When he records this event... He doesn't record any of the words of Jesus, just his arrest and everything that takes place there. And it is John that tells us that this took place in a garden, that that's why we call it the Garden of Gethsemane, that this was an actual garden. It was just on the Mount of Olives, which I'll show you in just a moment. I've got a little map there so you can kind of get an idea of where Jesus went, how he went, and you've got that picture in your mind. But I want you to know right now that this garden was an important place. When we look at this, we see that Jesus was struggling on behalf of all humanity, really, 
There was a war taking place. It was crazy. Now, let me just say this. Why a garden? Why, why would this take place in a garden? Gardens are important in the Bible. You may not realize this, but if you read Genesis 1 and 2, we see the beginning of creation, and we see that man was created in a garden. God placed them in the Garden of Eden, and it is in a garden where mankind became disobedient, where they disobeyed the law of God and sin entered in and mankind plunged into devastation and disaster and depression, anything you can think of. That's why we look around our world today and we see how horrible things are. When we read the news, we see, man, how can people even do that stuff? Well, it all began in the garden when men became disobedient. When you come to the close of the Bible in Genesis 21 and 22, I mean Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible speak of the garden city. We read of that. We have the tree of life in the garden of Eden. We have the tree of life in the garden city in Revelation 21, 22. And between those two gardens, you have the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is here in prayer, wrestling in agony, in agony for behalf of mankind that here he's getting ready to go to the cross. One of the most significant, it is the most significant attached with the, the resurrection, the most significant event in history took place on the cross that he won the battle on the resurrection. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. And we see this and it begins here in the garden, this wrestling. That night, really, it doesn't begin at the Last Supper. Where his agony began to really show was in the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means olive press. It was a place where olive trees grew and they had presses there. And they would press the olives and they would squeeze the oil out of the olives. In fact, if you go there today, we've taken many people there Right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's some olive trees that date back 2,000 years. And whenever we're at that garden, I'm wondering, you know, is this the tree that Jesus was praying at? Could this possibly be the tree that Jesus was praying at on that night of his betrayal and the day that he was crucified? Was this happening right there in those same trees? And I think it was. I think the Lord... I thank God that he doesn't reveal everything because we tend to worship things as idols like the tomb. When you go, there's two possible locations for Jesus' resurrection, where he was buried and where he rose from the dead. We don't know which one it is, but had we known which one it is, we would tend to worship the object instead of the person. And so I think when we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, the lesson that we learn there is, man, Jesus was in real agony praying on behalf of even you and me here today, going to the, the cross, struggling at that time to the point of sweating blood. Now, when we look at this prayer, the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus had a rhythm to his prayer life. I think that's so important that Jesus had a rhythm. Look at verses 39 and 40. It says, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. 
The disciples followed him, as was his custom. That tells you that the prayer life of Jesus was habitual. The Gospels record that this was a place that Jesus went to often, and he had a rhythm in prayer. He had a lifestyle of constant communication, connection, and communion with the Father. And it's important for us to see that because you and I are lost without that constant communication, without that constant communion, without that constant connection with God, you and I are lost. And Jesus was always praying, but here was a specific place that he would go to. He had that specific place that was very special to him. Now, show the map on the screen. I want you to see, see where the temple is. You can see the old city right there that's got the dotted lines. That was the old city gates there. And then you see the temple, which where the Dome of the Rock is today. That's the Muslims own that right now, but the Jews will take that over once again. And there's going to be a rebuilt temple there. But then you see the Kidron Valley there. Now, during this time, you have to understand that this is the time of the Passover. Many animals are going to be sacrificed. They're going to, there's going to be much blood shed there. And the blood would go from the temple down to the Kidron Valley. It would be like a river flowing, they said. Imagine just a river of, of water. If you've ever seen like a brook that was running pretty strong. Maybe it wasn't so deep, but you saw the water running. That's how the blood ran when they shed the animals at the temple. So he crossed the Kidron Valley and he went up to the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives there, you see that Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where he would go often to pray. I think he would pray for his own people up there at the Garden of Gethsemane, that he would be looking over the Temple Mount, that he would be looking over the city of Jerusalem, praying for the people that they would receive him. And we know that when he rode into Jerusalem, they rejected Jesus. They rejected him for the moment. They will get saved in the past. But look at that there's a Garden of Gethsemane. There's a specific spot that Jesus would go to. That's part of the rhythm of prayer. You can't have a rhythm in your, your life of prayer unless you have a place that you go to. Now, Jonathan talked about praying always, pray without ceasing. We do that, don't we? There's times where maybe some of you young people are getting ready to take an exam in your college classes and you're praying, Lord, bring to remembrance everything that I studied, right? They say prayer is banned from schools. I don't believe it is. I think a lot of students pray when they're on our school campuses. And so there's this, this idea that we do pray always. When we're driving, when we're at a stoplight, things come to our mind. How many believe that the Holy Spirit actually imparts things to our hearts? How many of you believe that today? And how many know that when you're at a stoplight, man, you're like, some of you get frustrated at the stoplight and you start yelling, man, this is taking forever. How do I know? Because I've been there. But you know what? Rather than getting frustrated, hear the voice of God. Listen to what he's putting on your, your heart. Maybe he's calling you to pray for the people that are parked right next to you at the stoplight. Maybe he's calling for you to pray for your wife or your, your husband at that moment because we know that prayer is without ceasing, that we're always talking to God. 
That's what God desires. Maybe we don't. Maybe the fallen flesh gets in the way too much. But we are required to pray always, to commune with God, no different than Jesus did. But notice that there was a specific spot that he went to to pray at times. And it was Gethsemane. Do you have a Gethsemane in your life? Is there a specific spot that you could call That's my Gethsemane. If I'm transparent with you today, I have a couple spots. On Wednesdays, I'm usually here and I pray at the front over here, the altar. Chris has a Gethsemane. He has a specific spot that he prays at on Wednesdays. But during the week, there's times where I go into the living room, the family room, and I pull the the couch pillow down. I put it on my knees because you're getting older and your knees hurt a lot quicker, so I need a pillow now where before I didn't. But it's not part of the couch. It is the specific spot on the couch. I tend to go to the same place every time. In my study at home, I have a chair, an office chair that I sit in, and I have a large desk, and and I have a pillow under the desk, and oftentimes when I'm studying and I just can't come to resolution on a scripture, I pull that down and I start to pray, and I pray even for you. Pray, Lord, let their hearts be open as you have given me this word today. I want this word to penetrate their hearts. And so we have these specific spots that we go to. So did Jesus. It was part of his life. There was a rhythm in his life which included a place where he would specifically go and we know that place to be Gethsemane as the scriptures say it was his custom it was his habit to go out there and to pray now the first thing you need to know in establishing a rhythm in your prayer life is you have to have those places you have to have a specific place I'm not saying you don't pray in your cars I'm not saying you don't pray at church and everything else but you do have to have a specific place where it's just you and God no distractions my wife used to come in and tell me that so-and-so's on the phone, and I would tell her, well, go tell him I'm with somebody important right now, and I'll call him back. Nobody was in there except me and the Lord. But I felt the Lord was the most important person in that place. And if I'm meeting with the Lord, I don't want anything to intrude that meeting with the Lord. Because God speaks to us in prayer. He does things in prayer. In Mark 14, 32 to 33, it gives us a little bit more detail on this verse by recording that Jesus left eight of his disciples somewhere in the garden. Then he took Peter and James and he took John with him deeper into the garden to pray. Now, this isn't the first time that he took Peter, James, and John with him by themselves. He took them, the first time was when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead in Luke chapter 8, verses 41 to 46, that he took Peter, James, and John with him into that room to, to witness that. The second time was at the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 28 to 36, when Moses and Elijah shows up with Jesus and they're transfigured. Glory breaks through at that time, and they were witnesses to that special event. And then here's the third time in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He separates from the, se- the, the rest of the disciples, and he brings them deeper into the garden. 
And I think there's a real lesson there that there's layers of discipleship, that there's levels of discipleship that we can go to, that we can go as deep as we want with the Lord. When you think about like when Jesus fed the 5,000, right? He feeds 5,000 and he multiplies the, the fishes and loaves and he feeds them all and he ministers to them. But then he goes across the Sea of Galilee and more followed him across the Sea of Galilee. And then there were those in John 6 where one of the saddest portions of Scripture is that when he started to teach of the deeper things and the more difficult things that many of the disciples turned and followed him no more. Then you have the 72 when he sent out 72 and they were preaching the gospel and they were healing people and Jesus gave them the authority. So there's 72 going out two by two ministering to people. And then he had the 12. And he's, he's got these 12 that he lives with and he fellowships and he communes with. But then there was the three, Peter, James, and John that saw and heard things that the others didn't hear or didn't see. And then you can even go a step further with John. As he was known as the beloved apostle, and at the Last Supper, he was the one leaning on Jesus' breast. And then Jesus at the cross would say to John, John was there, right there at the cross, while he was being crucified, and said, To Mary and to John, behold your mother, John. In other words, I'm entrusting the care of my mother to you. You see, there's different levels you can go to with God. How much of the Lord do you want? We even provide that here at Christ Community Church. We have, we have different layers that you can go to. You can, you can get into a home group, a home fellowship where, where it's not the Sunday morning. It's not the feeding of the 5,000. It, it's going from the crowd into smaller groups to where you're connecting with people and you're actually discussing the scriptures. Everybody's weighing in and the Holy Spirit's leading. Gifts are exercised and all these things are happening in a small group. There, there's the Imperial Valley School of Ministry where we just had the graduations where people said, man, I want more of the word. I want to know God in a deeper way. And they go in there and they study. Three years of their life they commit. Then there's the school of discipleship that Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan has where there's a group of 12 to 20 people that he takes through in a year and and in that time they learn to pray for people. They learn to share the gospel. They learn the deeper things of God in that place. Then they go to a missions trip in Oaxaca and they're ministering to people. What do you want from the Lord? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to taste it and see that he is good? See, most, I'm not singling anybody out. I don't know your life. But I do know the church in America, they want to show up on Sunday. Not even every Sunday anymore. They want to show up once a month. And instead of them following Jesus like the disciples And then Jesus bringing them to the garden. They want Jesus to follow them. They want to say, Jesus, follow me. Follow my life. 
Follow my path. And God speaks to us and he's, he's constantly speaking to us. He's constantly chiseling on our hearts. Wanting to break through. But our hearts get so hard. Which gets so insane. And all, all this time Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me. And so some of us stay carnal our whole lives. There's such thing as carnal Christians. Do you know that? If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians because that was correction for a carnal church. And in chapter 3, Paul says, are you not acting carnal? Like babes in Christ. Like, man, you guys should be eating meat now and you're on milk. But see, it's the decision. How far do we go? It's deciding not to do certain things and it's deciding to do other things. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.